Welcome to the Safety Culture Chronicles. I'm Kat Harrison, and I've spent the last few years working alongside Suzette Woodward, Dane Wigg and others as part of the Sign Up to Safety Culture team. This is our new podcast series that explores the most important lessons we've learned since the campaign launched in 2014. We see this as our handover to you, so that what we've experienced and learned alongside our 550 members is not lost, but can be used and built on further by anyone who's committed to creating a strong safety culture where they work. Over this time, we've grown to understand that patient safety is about so much more than short-term projects and harm-specific activity, which is so often aimed at small, discrete groups of people. It's hugely affected by how each person in the system behaves towards each other and is even directly related to whether or not we care for those who care for patients. We hope you find this series to be full of useful and practical information and also a giant injection of hope and enthusiasm for the future of patient safety. We've come a long way and there are many reasons to feel confident that the future looks kinder and focused on learning rather than blame. Hello. So we're here recording our first ever podcast for Sign Up to Safety. Very exciting. Exciting, yes. Um, So we've decided to take some time out of our ordinary day-to-day and come together. uh, So it's Suzette, Adam, Dane, myself, Kat, um, all just sitting together, taking some time to reflect on the last amazing five years of Sign Up to Safety in a bit to sort of pull out the really important learning that we hope will be really useful for you out there um, in the longer term. There's so much that we've done and so much that we've learned over the time. Um, So we want to bring you with us. Brilliant. Perfect. So, yeah, I thought I'd probably kick off and just tell everyone how we started. That'd be great. Yeah. Great. Um, so way back in 2014, although um, that feels like a long time ago, but maybe, but it's also whizzed mm. by so quickly that it feels like yesterday. Um, 2014, um, I was um, working somewhere else and somebody said, oh, I think that we need to think about um, a campaign for safety, something called Sign Up to Safety. And do you know what my immediate thought was? <laughs> the NHS Uh-oh. doesn't need another campaign. It really didn't, and I did. It really didn't feel like it did. Um, we'd about a year before that, or two years before that, we'd finished something called Patient Safety First. But this was this was, um, or potentially could feel different, and mm. um, and I suppose I thought, well, let me have a little think about that, and partly because, um. When I was asked to think about running Sign Up Safety, I was asked to think differently. So kind of based on the last 20 years, what what could we do differently? And the words differently, yeah. I just thought were also really lovely. And that's a really nice gift to be given as well, because that doesn't come along very often, I don't think. Exactly. It's a challenge to do things. Exactly. To, to change the status quo. Yeah. But I think one of the things, though, that happened very early on was it didn't feel very different mm-hmm. because um, everyone around us... Um, was steering it in a way which obviously felt like it needed to meet various things like um, policy requirements or a reduction in harm approach or these are things that are worrying us, these are the problems, let's let's try and fix them. And people want different often, but they don't know what different looks like and that can be an uncomfortable thing. Yeah. So yeah, you veer towards what you, you, yeah. what you know, even if the intention is to, to shake things up a bit. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so... Um, essentially, sign up to safety was thought about as something that came out of the Burwe report, um, uh, which in itself came out because of mid staffs. And so there's been all this sort of stuff that had gone on, and everyone going, "We haven't cracked safety. Why haven't we cracked safety? Let's try and think of the different ways we might do that." 
Um, and we know from the Bowick Report and others that that sort of created things like the patient safety collaboratives, um, what was supposed to be something called the safety fellows, which ended up by being the Q initiative. Um, and sign up to safety was supposed to be the sort of campaign aspect of all of that but again what do we mean by campaign and what do we mean described by... it as a movement which yeah, yeah, no, yes. one, no one understood really what that meant or the catch you know the, the catchphrase of the time and you can't really be a campaign for a wider landscape if you don't know what that li- li- wider landscape looks like and it was all at different times as well everything was sort of we were launched well, first other things... things were still in formation so I think that one of the things that you would you would tell us now is, um, well, what's your purpose? What's your yeah, clear campaign? Precisely. You know, um, <laughs> are you are you trying to get people to put on seatbelts, or are you trying to get people to stop using plastic bags? What is, what's what's your thing? And we're like going, mm, well, uh, to reduce safety. And in fact, we had this strap line, which um, we tried to move away from quite quickly for so many different reasons. But the strap line was, you're going to um, halve avoidable harm and save six thousand lives. Mm. Tricky stuff. Tricky <laughs> stuff. So I mean, also really, keeping is that a call to action that's actually achievable. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, if you are coming from the perspective of, of course, patient safety is about harm, uh, if that is your perspective, which we've learned very differently, I think, over time, and we want to share that with our audience, but if it is simply about harm and you want to reduce harm, then you find a number and you think, mm. um, I, I, let's try and reduce that number. But seriously how do you go about measuring that how do you actually genuinely show that you've saved six thousand lives when that you can attribute to your work which you can attribute solely to what you do um so we saw very early on advice from some really really clever people who know about measurement like helen hogan and others Mm. um who said that that um great to have that as a name if you want it as a name and if you think that's galvanizing then fine but it's not something that you'll be able to measure um, and you have to be really clear about that and that in itself is very freeing mm. so right at the very beginning how do you feel you know we had to do a lot of convincing of people to get on board yeah but in some ways we had a huge amount of help just by the nature of it being a campaign that was backed by the secretary of state for health had a major speech it was, internationally yeah it had this enormous, you know, springboard. Mm. Um, so I just, you know, looking back on that time, was that I, I, how much of that helped us? How much of that restricted? I was still quite sceptical at the time that people would just react going, oh, not another thing being done to us, another campaign. And I was really surprised, actually, early on when the letter went out from Secretary of State to the Chief Executive that this was happening and set up her email address and I sort of got worried about looking at what the response was and actually because there'd been a big gap since inpatient safety since the NPSA closed down and it had been quite quiet people were finding that actually really this is the right time because they're really wanting to try and find a new way to re-energise these safety works mm-hmm. so it was really quiet pleasantly surprised by a lot of the response we got back straight yeah. away I was like, oh, sure. yeah, yeah so if you draw back on what you just said though a letter from the Secretary of State for Health I mean, and very, so that's very very um, impactful and powerful mm. in good and bad ways so uh, does that make the chief executives that have received that letter the feeling that they had to join and they had to take part of this because the secretary of state said it would be a mm. thing that we needed to do um which was sort of slightly counter to the words the movement that was wanting mm. to be created because we all know that a movement is supposed to be groundswell yeah. up mm. and optional and people want to do um, so you get a letter from the secretary of state versus 
and wouldn't it be great to create a movement? But there is no doubt that the letter from the Secretary of State helped us grow our numbers. And once you grow a certain amount of numbers and then you can shout loudly about the fact that you've got this amount of people joining and this amount of people joining, mm. um, it inevitably makes other people, I think, think I want Certainly. to join that because everyone else seems to be. Yeah, it so it did help. It helped mm. spark it, definitely. Most definitely. But then I think, going back to what you're saying about um, the balance with the intention of the campaign to be a lot more about will, yeah, free will and you know enthusiasm, that made what we said and how we said it at the very beginning and onwards and the repetition of that very, very important. And I think we actually, what we did really well was to to actually sort of live what we intended. We never, the key thing was really not telling people what to do. Like you can tell people this is a great campaign, please join it. And that is an excellent, excellent start. <laughs> but then it's it, the really, what was really impressive when you first called me about about taking a part and you were describing kind of the intention of it and what, what it looked like at the time. This is really early back, up, sort, of, sort of towards September, October time in 2014. So it had launched, but it was still kind of getting off the ground. And it was all about letting people choose what they were going to do. And that's such a world away from Patient Safety First, where we had five interventions. Mm, and it was very prescriptive. And I think that learning from, for me, because I'd been out, out of um, patient safety for a while. I've been working in charities and um, working on more of the kind of movement stuff, <laughs> like out there and kind of the engagement side of things. So coming back in and seeing how thinking had changed from the presumption that if you just gave people five different toolkits and they did those toolkits in a specific way, it would all work smashingly mm-hmm. versus the realisation that A, you needed to let people decide what they did. They knew what needed to be done as opposed to exactly. anyone else. And those first Huge months, changes. Those first six months were quite unusual for people because as we started off, it created a framework, had to join it with having five, you know, five pledges that, that gets them thinking around the ideas that you know underpin the campaign so people would pledge on that. But then the next part, going on forward with that, was to have a lot of engagement webinars where we said, what do you want this campaign to be like yeah. the shape of it, which really confused people like well, can you tell us what to do for the yeah. first time that we're telling, asking them what you do want this to be mm. and with some sort of our own ideas to sort of seed some ideas with things but that was were they quite forthcoming when they were actually a asked bit confused, or I think, to do a bit of cajoling and yeah because i think people find that maybe um, if they were doing the same thing at a local level that would be you know if you get a bit of a blank wall the first time you ask would you feel would you feel enthused to ask again but actually, what, what we found to, is that you have to ask again and you have to encourage. And be genuinely open. Don't just, you know, the, oh, you know, the whole movement thing where some people say that, oh, we want you to help decide, but what you're really doing is secretly pushing your ideas back yeah. on them. But we generally gave many, many opportunities for people to share what, what was going on, what did they think was, what was needed um, to help us shape it. It was co-design period, I think we called it. Yeah, I think, I think we... Um... <laughs> We learned an awful lot in terms of um, having some really lovely key principles. And I think the pledges were a little bit similar to principles in a way. I think we should like explain what the pledges yeah, are. Yeah, plans are. If we, please if we, do. Yeah, because they've been mentioned a couple of times and hopefully everyone knows what they are. But mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe people who've never heard of our pledges. Um, so in, initially the campaign um, launched with um, an ask that each person who signed up would sign up to show what they were intending to do to make real five specific pledges which were which were <laughs> put safety first put safety first uh, collaborate be honest 
continually learn. Continually learn and be supportive. Yay, she remembered them all. <laughs> did we get beyond this? No, we did. We did, yeah. <laughs> so those are excellent, excellent asks of people and very much behaviour-based and very much open and applicable they're everywhere. Not, they're not things you're telling people to do. They're, no, they're... framework around which exactly. they can think. Yeah. Exactly. And that was the really perfect balance about it. Um, well, perfect, I mean, who can we say? But um, the intention was to give people that space to think for themselves about how... You know, what, what would that look like for them? And I find it really interesting that some people would send back pledges, would just be honest, be supportive, continually learn, <laughs> and put safety first on them as well. But then other people would be so thoughtful about it and really drill down. And interesting, two people would send them to you going, before, about some of these, but can you tell them how some of these are okay? Mm. And it's like, well, no, we can't because it's what, like your owners and it's what, what matters to you. We don't know what it's like to work in your organisation. We don't know what's important. What is needed? Um, it's, 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 you know, we can't really make any judgment question. on that. Yeah. And again, it's sort of indicative of what people are worried about putting anything like that into. I do. I think that we had a combination. A combination. If you if you sort of described a distribution curve, you had some people who went in really <coughs> big in their pledges and really really thought through. And also did it as a way of talking to their staff. We got these mm-hmm. pledges, and what do you think we should do? And Mirroring what, what you what the initial co design. Yes, exactly. So, well, and that's what it was supposed to be. Pass it on. Pass pass on this the the way of doing this, which is about doing it with people, not to them, and pass it on so that you work on things that matter to you, and not things that people think matters to you. Um, and some organisations did that amazingly and they held big days and engagement days and they said... They took like a year over it and stuff. Some people, yeah. yes, took ages. And then, and then now the very other end of this, the, the scale, is, as Dane said, is that occasionally we'd just get a letter in that just said these are the pledges and they would be the exact same words that we produced. And you think, okay, have you really thought this through? <laughs> um, but I suppose in some respects the important thing was that it was their campaign, so you know we weren't there to judge, and we weren't there to be reported to, and we were only there to guide and support. And if that's you know if that it's still a good intention, isn't it? To do those the, five things. If that's what felt right to them at the time, then that's absolutely fine. I think an early lesson was that we didn't realise how long it took for organisations to develop both their pledges and the supportive thing, the other thing that we are suggested people do, which is to create the safety improvement plans. We didn't really, we thought that you could kind of do that in a yeah, you've done it in a couple weeks, months, months something like that, and 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 some of them, some of the people that we work quite closely with, fed back to the fact that yeah, but you do realise that these are big things for our organisations, and they have to go through some sort of governance channel, and they have to go up to the board and back down again, and decisions in NHS organisations are not quick, especially ones where we've asked them to consult with their staff and yeah. to involve them, and to do that genuinely takes time, and so it was wonderful they took the time. Yes. As well, rather than rushing it through. But initially so we were a three-year campaign, so at yeah. least a third of that is to agree what should we work on. Yeah, which is phenomenal, really, because you're not going to see... You're then going to need exactly the same amount of time to see it, the impact of what you're doing. Yes. To sort of get a sense of how it's going. So. And what change can you actually make in the following two years? Which was one of the dilemmas I think we all had. So we, we knew that we were positioned as a three-year campaign and we knew that it took a really long time to get people going and we knew that people weren't even joining until our second year and so it felt very sort of uh, difficult well how do you 
how do you actually enable people to change and do things when in fact they might even be joining towards the end of the three years and then they're only thinking about what they're doing and mm. that got I think that we had a t- period of time when it got quite messy in our heads as to how can we genuine, genuinely help people do this stuff that it is sustained and long term and not seen as this short term flash mm. of a campaign. And it would have been easier to be prescriptive to actually say yeah. okay if you haven't joined up by this time you can't do this 12-week program that we've put in place or, you know, whatever it is, and you see the temptation. So I found it a, a battle sometimes to step back and say, we don't have the answers. It's okay. We're going to find them out as we go. It's okay to sort of be learning mm-hmm. as we go and just keep that open-endedness. And Because I think it's also about managing expectations, and that's something I think probably everyone listening can sort of understand as well that sense of when people want results or they want things to happen more quickly you have to be able to manage those expectations as well so I think having a realistic view at the start and being able to tell people yes it will take long you know a realistic view so if you're starting anything new at local level I guess it's just remembering give yourself more time than you think you might need yes consider that the time it takes but to be get really, the message really, around. really really clear about what you're trying to achieve um and, and it um, so a broad in in the beginning of the broadness of it. Let's whether you have that strap line of saving six thousand lives or reducing harm by fifty percent. The the broadness of it um, could could have and possibly did stifle. As in, what is you know sign up to safety is about improving safety. Improving safety is huge. So I think that we shone and we really started to get so so skilled at what we were doing when we narrowed it down and narrowed it down and narrowed it down ultimately to something that was about behaviors and the way people talk to each other we could have narrowed it down in a different way we could have narrowed it down to simply falls or yeah precisely and i think what was what was interesting is that this narrowed it down in a way that hadn't been done before which was to look at something that was actually universal Mm. so Something that was also, I think, something that's applied to that leap. Sorry, I interrupted you. But how did we get to that leap? I think we remember partly because we had to. In terms of, for instance, so from Com's point of view, from my point of view, we had people signed up from all over the system who were working. You know, could be working in a very small GP practice, or in a huge trust or regional partnership that spanned, you know, seventeen, twenty sites. So you have to have something that unites people and is applicable in all of those areas or you segment your messages to suit individual audiences which we simply didn't have the resources to do and the time to do and I think would have been a mistake because we were trying to do it in a unifying way anyway so it's about who are we what are we trying to achieve we're trying to create a sense of unity and shared vision around patient safety so why would you then tell different people different things? You that need to find something that connects people. The silos and the, the tribes. Anyway, yes, I think that's. Yeah. I think that's um, one of the key things that I think we did. I think so. We we think two thousand and fourteen create a campaign which is to help people all improve safety. We asked everyone to commit to some pledges and then to do some safety improvement plans. And when we got the safety improvement plans back, they felt very siloed. They very, felt very harm related and. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, equally, you can see why they would think like that. Um, I think we encouraged it in a way. And well. we, and we mm. potentially encouraged it, absolutely. Um, and then we asked ourselves, what are this common theme bef- 
between all of those and they were things like communication and information sharing and um and the kind of culture that people have got of openness and and so on and i think we thought we described them as cross-cutting themes didn't we and we thought well if those things apply or are a thread through every care setting or every harm or every safety improvement plan then perhaps the best thing that we can do is help people with those yeah exactly so what what's the shared experience like you're trying to find what's you know what is the thread that yeah. links people and that also was borne out by what you know academics were, t- were saying at the time as well about the need to you know look up and look at that you know, help what's so it kind of was an interesting alchemy I think so it's our own experiences it's, it's born out of the practical need as well and um the desire to to create a unified sort of sense amongst our membership um which is really really important given how tribal everything is and how siloed everything has been in patient safety but also then also internationally people say okay cost communication is coming up a lot <laughs> you know look, look at the studies what's everything telling us there are certain things that come up regardless of what kind of harm you're looking at i think there were a number of things for me i think you're absolutely right because um we had the privilege and the and the absolute joy of being able to look and see what all of the research that was going on in safety internationally and nationally and so on so we were starting to see snippets of articles coming through saying do you know what actually maybe it's more important to work on things like behaviors or the way in which people communicate than necessarily to really really focus on pressure ulcers or falls or whatever you don't do one without the other yeah putting yourself in a position where you're more likely to but i think what we also got was um, some really significant people saying, do you know what, the last 20 years or so don't seem to have made the difference that we ever expected. And so without trying to find the answer, they all said there is a problem here. So there were people like um, Carvey Shojania in Canada, Cole McRae in the UK, Mary Dixon Woods, um, uh, um, who's now at Cambridge, um, and and ourselves to some extent saying if the last 20 years haven't worked what could we do differently that word differently so you've got the campaign going I think we need to think differently and then lots of other people say I think we need to think differently and then we're all going well how do we do that um and I think all of that helped us feel confident to feel to try to search for what that could be rather than because you need the confidence to do this. Mm. You need to feel like you're not just going off on a tangent and wasting everyone's time and effort. But it is unsettling not to have the answer. It's much easier to convince yourself that, oh, no, this is what yeah. you do. Yeah. Now, that's a temptation, isn't it, always, to look like you have the answer. And, and I think that to was... say, no, we don't, we're learning. I think that was one of the brilliant things. So we we had we had some uh, people helping us along the way, such as David Naylor from the mm. King's Fund, um, Sarah Garrett, um, who's an independent expert in all of this kind of stuff, uh, Catherine Eid and Jane Reed, um, and various other people mm. along the way. And I think they helped also ask critical questions of us. Um, why are you doing it like that? Why are you thinking like that? Um, and in fact, I think... David summed it up beautifully for me when he said, you shouldn't really go in with the answer, especially if you don't know the answer, but you shouldn't <laughs> pretend you know the answer or, or actually present an answer because we're all in this together and we need to explore what that answer might be together. And by freeing everyone up from a solution, they might then start to think differently. And I, that was fabulous. That's I mean, I, point. I haven't yeah. captured his words quite as well as I could do. but I think you captured for me, though, what the change in mindset that caused for me. So for 
from being something to fear, it became a gift to give people the opportunity mm. to find out something new and find the opportunity to kind of gain more knowledge and things. Whereas I think I personally, I don't know about you guys, but I think I did actually go from that place from being like, what? We need a five year plan. This naturally is kind of from my background and everything. You do tend to have. I know when we first plan, started, so. when we first started, I remember an email from Dane saying, Okay, so when's the first 90-day plan coming out soon? Because really, he knows how much I love 90-day plans. And I was thinking, oh, 90-day plans, how exciting. But that drifted after a while because you're thinking, no, you can't plan week this to week. stuff. You yeah. cannot plan this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, David and Sarah and everyone. And actually, really the opportunity for us all to sit in a room and talk, take that time to actually discuss and prioritise thoughts mm. and thinking and discussion and different opinions and making space for those different opinions, for me, was part of helping that happen that was essential if every organization rethought through the way they have meetings and turned them into conversations that are really rich and profound and might not have any answers to them i think that they could do well by that Mm. even if they do you know once a month but to have in-depth conversations with people who are really exploring something and trying to think Anything that they've got in their mind. This is my favourite word today, differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Differently. That's good. I think we should also add that as well as working within the theory with all the sort of great thought leaders, and we also have tried to ground reality as much as possible mm. by having people join us and go see people that, that live in that real world and front line. So it was never just grand ideas in the blue sky. We, you know, and we changed a lot of our thinking as soon as we spoke to, yeah. you mm. know, you know, like Owen at Nottingham or other people that were just going or talking at conferences who their day-to-day reality is like. Yeah. I forgot yeah, to mention Owen. Amazing. You're absolutely right. Owen was, was just nothing. brilliant. Yeah. Because he just those. told us how it was and and he spurred us to go and find out how it was. And I think... And kept us grounded, I think. Like you were saying, versus the blue sky thinking, it's mm-hmm. very easy, I think. We're not in a clinical setting. So yes. it's quite easy to get drifting But it, away. It's, it's like Stephen Shorrock says, and lots of other people, the human factors world, when they talk about the world is imagined and the world is done, or the work is imagined the work is done. I didn't know those words then, but we were desperately trying to seek the work is done because we didn't want to be... It's isn't it? Yeah. Way, we without... just didn't want to be the people that imagined this is what it should be and therefore this is what we're going to tell you to do. And also that that kind of, um, you know, purposefully trying not to be the people who imagine came from particularly yours and your, like Dana Caesar's years of experience of seeing this done <laughs> in yeah, an imaginary way. Yeah. And my experience of patient safety first of seeing it done in a kind of really well-intentioned but works imagined way. Well, not even working as imagined, just not holistically. Um, that's no, I think it's genuine, genuinely at times imagining mm-hmm. this yeah. is what care should look like or... If um, any of this happened, this would be the outcome. And why can't we just simply send out guidance, send out alerts and tell people this is what they've got to do and why don't they do it? Felt very comfortable for an awful lot of people. And we, we went out of our comfort zone because we realised that mm. just doesn't land right. Um, and we found that out, as you say, Dane, from talking to people. We went all over the place, didn't we? Even these the doctor and GP friends that I know on the weekend, and I was they're really, really excited about us telling them about our work and things and showing the different books we have. But I kept it we don't just dream this up, we talk to people like you all the time. This is why I had really amazing conversations with them about their real world mm. experiences, and it still makes me quite sad that some certain things you hear mm. from particularly really newly qualified people as well. But had to say that this isn't just like you know us sitting in our little rooms doing it. Yeah. We do talk, listen a lot yeah. in the last five years. Yeah, yeah. 
And it feels like there's always new people to tell about this too. Mm. You know, like it's not like everyone knows. You know, and it's also, I mean, don't use the word listen. You know, we've also been totally blown away by these amazing people who talk about how important it is to genuinely listen. You know, the, the amazing video of Celeste Headley's okay. TED Talk. And you watch that and you just think, gosh, she's so right. You know, how important it is to just simply listen. I love that. She's actually a radio presenter, so she talks a lot. (laughs) That's what I think of the movie. And we talk a lot. And 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 you have to really actively do it. You know, I do, when I talk to people, I say you should sit on your hands or metaphorically sit on your hands. And I have to do that quite a lot because I just want to talk all the time. (laughs) But you really need to listen to people, genuinely listen to them. And it is a skill. Yeah. Something that... I always thought it was something you're, you know, you're born with, they're good people, you're good communicators. But then you realise that even if you're in the good communicators pot, you can be doing stuff that's silencing people. Mm. You know, if you actually just pay attention mm. and you realise, you know, getting out of your own head a bit, that's, that's what's the really interesting thing. And I think that's something anyone can do. Just taking the time to learn those skills can have a huge impact on everything you do. Yeah. So if this is our first podcast about kind of the the early days, Mm. so we've told everyone, have we told everyone about how it started? So we kind of started off the Bowick Report and then we started in the first year and we were telling everyone to do safety improvement plans. Are people embraced? Sorry, ask. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Everything was optional, take the pledges. But I think actually, do, yeah. do you know what though, if I'm really honest, I think I did go around telling people this is what I want. And I think <laughs> it was only when um, you, Dane and Kat in particular, really looked at the language of the letters that you send out. And yeah. actually, do you know what, Suze, that sounds a bit telly. You know, maybe we should actually reframe this a little bit and really talk to them as people and human yeah. beings at the end of this and saying, it'd be really nice if you considered this and why. So I think you did change my language. I think I probably got very used to working at a national level, going around saying, this is what we think you should do, and forgetting completely the subtlety of the yeah. of that language. When we go That's back and look at old things that written in presentations, and you sort of get yes. a bit of cringe. <laughs> cringe a bit. I look at my, one of my first ones, and I'm like, oh, they must have been so bored listening to it. <laughs> but then if you've always written things in a certain way, and that's just how it's done, you just it doesn't even occur to you to change it. So it's only when you start to think about what are you trying to achieve by what you're writing, you think, well, actually, we're trying to connect with people, so <laughs> best not to sound like a robot, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, it starts to sort of seem ridiculous. That you, that you, when you sort of, I think that now when you get, you know, you might get a letter through from a company or something like that, and some do it so well, that they, and some do it too well, that they're trying to be your best mate or yeah. something. There's a really, too, really too fine familiar. line. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But then some that feel so kind of, you know, cold. And yeah, I just don't think that kind of writing or communication works nowadays not when everything's changed there's not really any formality anywhere anyway so I don't know yeah it's interesting so um, I think the other thing that you helped us with um in that first drawing towards the end of that first year was to start thinking about um our social media presence Mm. um and um uh, and how to explore that. And I think one of the things is that people just think you've got to just tick that box. You've got to get on Twitter and you've got to do Facebook and you've got to do yeah. um, Instagram or whatever. And I think um, there's something really important for us in that, in that I think for me, the only reason why we needed Twitter was to create a community, mm-hmm. um, a community of people who wanted to share, but probably mainly wanted to hear yeah, from-, um, from us 
And so I think in, a, in the end, our Twitter feed has ended up being a really lovely outlet and resource for the resources that people are so desperate for. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I mean, the purpose of something like Twitter is, as you say, people often just think, right, we need Twitter, but they don't think what its purpose is going to be. And for us, we were a, a membership mm. campaign. So it was about having an ability for people to connect with the national presence of sign up to safety, but also for us to be able to amplify, amplify what we're saying and reach more people. So people aren't always going to want to sign up to newsletters. They're not always going to want to go to a newsletter. They're not going to want to use a specific type. You know, you can't say we've got Twitter, so therefore we're reaching everyone. You have to try and make sure that people have an opportunity to hear from you and gain get access to things that they're going to need and want in a way that suits them mm-hmm. and at a time that suits them. And what's great about social media is that you can be really flexible about how you use it and the timing that you use it. And you can start to track what sort of time of day works best for you. Mm-hmm. So it's important to use anything like that in an analytical way. It's there to build up and work towards your objectives, not just to, yeah, you know, yeah, that's not the end objective. It's there to help you get something else, like get people to a particular video that you've created that you know they're going to love and that they've been asking for. That kind of help, you know, you use it to draw people in, draw people back to that, or use it to connect people up. Yeah. There's been times where we've said, oh, it's a question from one person over here. I know this person over here might have an answer for you. And we've put them in touch. And we've done the same through our newsletter. So we've had emails through from our um, mailbox and we've put them in touch via our newsletter with the entire yeah. community, things like that. So the whole purpose of everything we've done was about connecting and giving people the tools they need to do what they want to do. I think the other thing to say at this point also is that we had very little money. Yes. Um, so we had, people, we had a small amount of people and we had very, very little money. And at that point, you have to make clever decisions about what you're going to do with that money and how you're going to use it. So we didn't have the razzmatazz stuff. We didn't have the, um, uh, you know, really, no or... really amazing videos that could, you know, but actually, or, or, or even, yeah, even hold Maybe any events or conferences or anything. Um, and, it makes you think differently, but also maybe it's a bit more realistic, isn't it? Because that's life. We don't have, yeah. n- not many people have a lot of money in the NHS or in healthcare, and we make things work yeah. because of that or despite of that. And also there's a humility to it, I think, as well, in the sense that, you know, you have to think about how you're going to reach people when they want to hear from you, not assume that because you're who you are when you put the message out there, they're going to listen. Mm. And I think that's a mistake that's often made at, at national level. And, and because actually they do listen, you know, mm-hmm. with certain people, you know, you do, like you say, a letter goes out, a huge reaction, quite right too, you know, for certain people. And But that, that's not what you can rely on. What you need to do is to be thinking, you know, how can I help these people? What is it that we're doing is actually helping them reach their objectives mm-hmm. as well? Mm-hmm. And making sure there's common ground there between everyone's aims. So I think it's, yeah, it's that too. I think that was a key thing for us, just making sure that we were always thinking how we can help and what do people need as opposed to, why aren't they responding to what we've just said? <laughs> like that kind of so if there, if there were, I mean, there are two things for me. One, if we were to try to sum up the first, the setup, the, and yeah, not first, just the first yeah. year, but just the, the setup, what would be like the three things that we that would we'd remember? And the second point I'd probably like to draw out is, what is perhaps the one thing we would have done differently or what mm. would we have done differently now we know what we know, that lovely hindsight word. 
So oh, what were the three? What do you one. think the three things that we le- we learned or that really were amazing in that first setup? Uh, one of the most important is because um, people can get precious or really um, you design or get you launch something you you've got to be prepared to change or realize it's not right and just change and not not just stick with it you know pigheadedly because you put so much work into it. You, you, sometimes you made a mistake. We just you don't have the benefit of what's going to happen, you know, once it's launched. So be prepared to change and be adapt. flexible, be adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and evolve. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's one one key message for our audience. Be flexible, be adaptable. Um, second key message. I think trust people. Trust. Um remember that they have a lot more knowledge <laughs> about what they need to do at a local level than you do. Yeah. Um, or however local or micro that is. You just trust the people. Um I think our uh, the third knowledge one, and intention. The third one for me would be really think about the language that you use. If you are going to say this is about a movement approach and a bottom up approach, and this is about you working on things you want to do, then mean it and think about the language associated with that and be really lovely and kind um, in your be language. Sincere. So what would what would we do? Dif- what would we do yeah. differently, or what did we? I think I wish that we'd known about the cross cutting themes and the connectedness. At the very, very beginning, I think it would have been really nice for people to, for those first people who were creating safety improvement plans, which were like three to five years, which is a majorly good thing. So for the first time, we were asking people to look in a longer term way, which I think was hugely beneficial. They could have put that really right at the heart of that from the beginning. Yeah. And I think that would have made just life easier in a practical sense for people, for the people for whom it takes a year to get it through the system. Amending I it. think I have to agree with you. I don't think I'm going to think of anything different on top of what you've just said because I think that dry, steering people created some sort of direction, extrinsic or intrinsic in some way, or creating a siloed approach to safety, which we didn't want to happen. So there was a knock-on effect of that. Yeah, and sort of the cross-cutting themes or the looking at um, <clears throat> something that threads throughout everything. If we'd kicked off with that, I think we would have been further today than we currently are. I'm not sure if this this we, this could have been done differently, but at the very beginning, for quite some time, we were quite engaged in quite a lot of governance. You know, there was a lot of trying to be visible across yeah. all of these national bodies to make sure that we were so many didn't weren't interested, they didn't show up to meetings and things. So, but you know, we tried to be the kind of glue or trying to make mm. everyone on the same page. And this kind of took a lot of our time, and not eventually we just sort of stopped doing it, it. and then we became. Not invisible, but we we and we got to do yeah, we got I think more that's freedom. That we should really bring up on the next podcast. I think that would yeah. be really fabulous yeah. to talk about the, <laughs> the the difficulties of integrating and collaborating and the freedom sometimes yeah. to not. Brilliant, <laughs> great way to Thanks, end. Excellent. <laughs> okay, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. For us, Sign Up to Safety has just been one more step in the journey to understanding how to create a strong safety culture. So here's to the future and travelling further on this road together.